0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Back in the 70s or 80s, probably the most familiar Bible passage was John three 16. You'd see those numbers on boards at baseball games or at any various other places. People knew how those words of our Lord, or at least do the reference to them, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, I think these days, however, the passage that usually comes to mind more often are the first words of our gospel text. Judge not, lest ye be judged, using the old good, the King James language. It's quoted by many in various places and in various ways, usually as an attack against the law. These words are brought up and foisted against Christians who dare to put forth that there is a morality, that God desires for us to live lives that are holy and pleasing, if we dare say that there is a certain lifestyle that you should or shouldn't live, if we dare proclaim that stealing is wrong, these words of Jesus are put forth. And usually it's in the context of don't tell me what I can or can't do. How dare you? Impose your view on me. After all, Jesus says, love, judge not, and therefore that should mean, I guess, we go and do whatever we want and whatever makes us happy and feel good. Yet, these words, when used in such a way, are taken out of context. In such a way, they act as if they're saying, Jesus condones sin. Go ahead, do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry, because Jesus doesn't care, I guess, is at least the attitude. But that could not be farther from the truth. Our Lord's words to us today are not about condoning sin in the least. They are actually about condemning arrogance, condemning pride, condemning a view that you are better than your neighbor. Ironically, anyone who would put forth these words of Jesus in such a context as to try and allow what God has said is wrong and against the commands is violating the very sin our Lord is confronting today because such an attitude comes from a place of I know better. No one can tell me what to do, which is the exact opposite of our Lord's words today. You see, our Lord is putting forth what is the role of the church in society. Is it to be the master of the world? The one who creates laws and puts forth what we should or shouldn't do? Are we called to bring forth a godly order through law and order? The church tried that for close to a thousand years. From about the time of the 5th, 6th century through the 16th century... This is exactly where the church was. Establishing that power in Rome and setting up emperors and kingdoms, dictating what laws would be, judging people. When you had a complaint, you would go to the church and you would go to the courts of the church. Look how that turned out. The church became the place of the master, not only in proclaiming the gospel, but telling us what you did in and out every single day. But lest we try to think that the Protestant Reformation solved that whole problem. It didn't. Quite often it simply just changed the power structure from Rome to someplace else. There were the Anabaptist colonies in northern Germany where they set up their own structure and used the gospel or used the Bible as their constitutions. Indeed, the pilgrims coming over to our land, did they not do the same things? And We must admit Lutherans weren't averse to doing this as well. I think speaking of Bibles as constitutions, some of the Frankenmuth colonies were along those same lines, if I remember correctly. But is this what we're supposed to do? On this July 4th weekend, it's probably on our minds that we have many and great liberties in this nation. If you're like me, you're probably fairly thankful that we have the right to assemble peacefully in this place, that we have a nation where we can speak our minds, at least we should be able to, where we can worship how we desire, and where we can elect our leaders and partake of the political structure that we have in place. So does that mean it should be our goal to make sure we get the right leaders in, in positions of power so that the right laws can be established so that we can have peace on earth? I'm not disdaining our need to be involved in our civic righteousness. And since we have the, the, the opportunity and, indeed, the privilege to be part of our government, we should take it. And when elections come up, we should use the wisdom God gave us to discern who would be good and right leaders and vote for them. But at the end of the day, that's not why we're here. We're not here to set up a Christian nation to force a Christian morality on people. That would be placing ourselves in the role of master and not servant. Jesus shared with his disciples that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And what was our Lord's attitude? He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And let us never forget what he said to his disciples in the upper room on that night before his crucifixion. I call you friends. And if I have washed your feet, if I have deigned to bow before you and clean you, then you should do so to others. Love one another as I have loved you. There's a vast difference between being a master and a servant. A master is one who has authority to command and punish. The one who can indeed tell you what to do, what not to do, and when you don't do it, inflict consequences, fines, and jail time, even when the crime is bad enough and if the nation allows it, the capital punishment itself. Suppose the servant, a servant is one who is called to, by the very title he's given, to serve. A vocation of one of assisting those who are placed over him. I was thinking about this difference and consider, for example, something we are now all intimately aware of these days, wearing these masks. I heard in the news that Governor Waltz may in the next week or so go so far as to mandate wearing masks in public. I've heard how there's places, I think it's out in California, where if you don't wear a mask, you can be fined, what is it, $3,000 or some such thing. The government can force you to do something, and if it has the will, can back that up with consequences. Yet, why is it it's a good thing to wear masks? I'm no doctor. I'm not going to get into a discussion of whether it's valid or not. But for the sake of others... We wear masks because we want to prevent others from being sick. It's as simple as that. It's a desire not because of what is comfortable or not comfortable for me, but what is best for the one whom I'm around. Such an attitude is one we are called to take as Christians as well. For how is it that we move people to do what is good and proper? Again, the master the government can work from a place of authority, Imposing those fines, those punishments, those jail times, and what have you. That's not how we work. That's not how we're called to work. At the end of the day, it is called to be from a place of humility. To serve others as Christ has served us. Who condescended to come into this world. To dwell among the pain and suffering of this fallen creation. Who sat with sinners and tax collectors. Who showed them respect, who showed them love, and who listened to them. And yes, indeed, then, as they asked him, what shall I do, he shared with them what is proper. Repent, sin no more. Honor your father and your mother. Give glory to God. Love your neighbor. In our passage today, We very well may have one of the most well-known passages in the world today, the one that's often quoted, but we also have probably the least quoted and the most ignored. Because while our Lord did begin with the words, judge not and you will not be judged, he ended with these words, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Where is our Lord leading to us with these passages? Again, it's not to simply condone sin and say let everyone do what they want. It's at the end of the day to proclaim the law, to help someone who's steeped in sin and to bring them from that pit of death to the kingdom of light. But we don't do it by power and authority. We don't do it by imposing laws because the law will never change the heart. What does the law do? It convicts. And for the sinner, for us even today, as we are ones who are steeped in sin, the law calls us to rebel because it convicts the sinful man who does not desire to be convicted. So our Lord is placing before us that as we deal with the sin in the world, with the sin of our neighbor, begins by recognizing the sin in ourselves. Yes, taking out the speck from our brother's eye is the goal. But first, we deal with the log that is in our own eye. We deal with the fact that we are poor, wretched, and miserable sinners. One who has failed God. We are ones who let the law do its work on our hearts so that we may see clearly who we are. Yes, to confront the sin in our life. Yes, to acknowledge how we have failed God in season and out. We deal with others from a point of humbleness, as ones who are broken ourselves, not as ones who have everything in place and to know the way. In the words of St. Paul, we confess with him, chief of sinners though I be. Because here then, we are ones who can go forth and see others who are steeped in sin and approach them not from a place of authority which says, I'm better than you, let me correct you, but as a place of humility which says, I am just like you. I am struggling like you. Yet unlike you, I know where true peace is found. It's found in Christ. It's found in the one who came into this world, who gave his life to destroy the power of sin, who paid the price for your sins, and who amazingly is the one who then gives us another gift, who gives us the gift of his spirit in our hearts, My friends, this is how true change comes, the gospel message. For as that spirit comes into us, it alivens in us the new man. It provides for us the means by which we see, yes, sin is bad. It grants unto us the desire to turn from that sin and move towards God. This is not something we can ever do on our own, but it is what God gives us the strength to do. And as the Spirit dwells in us, then we hear the Word of God, not only in a desire to rebel, but in a desire to follow. The new man quiets the old man, and we see what our Lord does want for us. That as he proclaims to us what we should not do, as he holds before us the commands of life and salvation, we recognize that what he desires most of all is to give us an abundant life, A life freed from the pain of terror, freed of doubt, freed of angst, a life which is full of peace, a peace that comes from knowing that we have been washed clean in the blood of Christ. From this position, ones who have been broken by sin, yes, but more importantly healed by Christ, we go forth. Seeing the log in our own eyes, we can go forth and help our brother with the speck which is in his eye, bringing him the word of life, so that he too can come from the kingdom of darkness and dwell in the kingdom of life. Let us indeed rejoice in what our Savior has done. Let us be strengthened by the spirits that we would not judge, lest we too be judged. Lest we, let us not hold to a standard which we ourselves cannot hold. Let us forgive as we have been forgiven. Let us love as Christ has first loved us. Amen. When We rise. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.